The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with New York Times bestselling author, motivational speaker, and celebrity dentist, Dr. Bill Dorfman. Hey, Dr. Bill here. So get ready for a really exciting Meet the Mentor. This is my doctor, Gary Cohen. I'll tell you a little bit about him. But the reason we do these Meet the Mentors is this. Leap Week 2019 will be July 21st to the 27th at the beautiful UCLA campus. We will have 450 students from around the world. In fact, 20 will be coming from Africa this year. 80 will be coming from Australia. We'll have a bunch from England, the UK, from Canada, a few from Mexico. Um, It's an amazing experience. For students 15 to 25, our goal is to teach you how to be successful in life. And we do that by bringing great mentors, business people, celebrities, sports figures. And we've had Apollo Ono, the most decorated Olympic athlete. We've had Usher. Um, hopefully Elon Musk will come this year. Uh, last year we had Mark Wahlberg, Anthony Hopkins, Paula Abdul, Jonathan Bennett. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Eva Longoria. I mean, it's really, really amazing. And we teach skills that aren't typically taught in school and skills that you need to be successful, like communication, etiquette. Where else do you learn etiquette? You know, uh, appreciation. You guys need to learn appreciation. And just a lot of really fundamental life skills. And the program culminates on Friday with something we call a mentor workshop. And in the mentor workshop, the mentors that we bring and their doctors and lawyers and firefighters and screenwriters and actors and actresses and whatnot sit at a table and you guys as students get to sit around and ask them questions about their career, what their challenges were, you know, how they overcame them, you know, do they like what they do? Because there's nothing worse than waking up to a job you hate, right? So um, I am really pleased to give you the honor and pleasure of meeting a man who not only is phenomenal at what he does, but he loves what he does and it shows. And when you're a patient in his office, you see that. And there aren't a lot of doctors I could say that about. So let me read a little bio on Gary and then we'll kind of get into it. Uh, Gary Cohen is an MD. He practices internal medicine right over here on Robertson in Beverly Hills. Um, He also does medical research. He's been on radio talk shows. Um, He's a political commentator and lecturer. He's become nationally renowned for his pioneering work in primary care, HIV medicine, and stem cell research. In recognition of his many contributions to the science and practice of medicine, he was voted the top internal medical doctor by The Hollywood Reporter and has been named a super doctor for the past decade. Um, I wanna know how you become a super doctor. He's also a devoted athlete becoming, uh, beginning with his five-year rowing. Um, um, where did you row? At Cambridge University. He qualified and rowed at Henley Royal Regatta. He served as a senior triage physician for the Ironman World Championship Triathlon. Uh, on the big island of Hawaii and continuing with his medical practice dedicated to treating professionals, amateur athletes um, with sports related issues and all other kinds of things. Gary, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Bill. So you were not going to be an internist. You were going to be an anesthesiologist. What happened? Well, uh, 
life happened. So, you know, the quick story is, so I'm from Philadelphia. I grew up in, I was a middle, middle of three boys, grew up in a kind of middle class, kind of nowhereville neighborhood in a little brick row house. End up making it to Amherst College, Cambridge University, came back to University of Pennsylvania. And I loved, you know, anesthesia. Anesthesia was like, you know, you could control everything. And I guess that's part of my nature is, you know, to like to control things. So um, I was having a lot of fun with it. But it was the early 80s. And if you remember, or, you know, those of you who weren't alive during the early 80s, that's when something terrible happened. That's when the AIDS epidemic hit. And um, I was I was 23, 24, and I was just coming out as a gay man. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, this is pretty horrifying and there's nothing to do about it. But what was crazier was, you know, when you're in training, you know, you go to the cafeteria, you do rounds on your patients, you go to the cafeteria with your senior physicians who've made rounds and been nice to the patients, you would sit at the lunch table and they would say things like, and I'm sorry about using this word, but it's literally what they said, these faggots brought it on themselves. And they were so homophobic and they really didn't want to treat them. I realized these, like, you know, I was coming out, but these were my people. So everybody in my medical school class was running as far and as fast away from AIDS because it was horrifying as they could. And I said, somebody's got to step up. So I did. And it's been kind of a rocket ride, you know, because when you think about it, you know, when people's immune systems are shot, um, a lot of weird stuff can happen to them. But then you got to separate that because a lot of normal stuff, they're humans, can happen to them. So it's kind of the Super Bowl of internal medicine. You have to get really good at what you do. Yeah. And, you know, hats off to you for doing that, because I started dental school in 1980. Um, I went to a three-year program. When we started dental school, we didn't wear gloves. Nobody wore gloves. I mean, it, the school just didn't want to pay for gloves. It was an expense. Right around 1981, before they even identified what AIDS was, they called it HTLV-3. Remember right. that? And that's when they sort of made it optional. And by the time I graduated dental school in 1983, it was mandatory. Right. Everybody wore gloves. But you were right. Like, nobody in the clinic wanted to treat anybody who, you know, was infected with AIDS because it was fatal at the time. Right. I mean, it was really, really a sad period. But if you got HIV, then you just died. Correct. And there was nothing... That, I mean, there were very few people that survived that, but it's really crazy because if you look at the American gay population from, there's like a gap from like 60 to 70 where there aren't a lot of gay men that well, survived that. What's so interesting about sitting here talking with you at LEAP is this is a mentor program. Well, when the gay community, an entire generation of mentors has been wiped out. Gone. So, I mean, you know, not to, this, is, this isn't a pity party, but I lost all of my patients for the first 15 years. They all died. And most of my friends are dead. Now, I have lots of friends now, and things have been better since the late, you know, mid to late 90s when we got, you know, antiviral therapy and the cocktails and people were doing fine. So I went back to general internal medicine. But um, it was a really tough time. I remember being at the gym, and at the time it was the elliptical machine, and 
what would I turn to in the newspaper when we still read newspapers? Um, I would every day I would open the obituary page to see which friend had died, and I'm thinking. In my 20s, shouldn't this happen when I'm in my 80s? Yeah. But you know, it was like I was looking through life through an old man's eyes. Uh, the flip side of the story is, and this has sort of become the theme of my life, and it's how I was raised by my father, is um, I got more from giving to these people than they got from me helping to treat them and usher them onto the you know the next dimension. And it's interesting, I got very good at uh, death and dying, so whenever anybody in my family is kind of nearing the end of life, I get the call, so. Yeah, well, and then flipping to today, your practice has made a major transition because the way that you were practicing back then has really evolved. Yes. And you've developed a, a, a kind of a whole new image and everything. Why don't you talk about how you practice today and, you know, and what it is that you're actually doing as a physician? Sure. Because the way you practice is really unique and novel um, compared to how I know a lot of other, you know, physicians are practicing. Well, what happened was back in 2004, um, I realized that HIV was going to become a chronic manageable disease and I didn't have to just focus on that. I loved internal medicine, all the you know stuff, and I wanted to basically see a broad variety of patients. Just so happened that a couple of the Doc Hollywoods, because I'm in ground zero of Beverly Hills, um, were opening up a new diagnostic center, and they asked me to join them. So I did, and what we did was we put together something where we've got x-ray laboratory, we've got colonoscopy, bone density, um, nuclear stress testing, basically everything you need for internal medicine right in my office. Yeah, it's amazing. In fact, you're our new family doctor. My daughters are gonna see you. My ex-wife is gonna see you. I mean, you are so thorough and it is such a great feeling to just kind of have this one-stop shopping thing where you don't have to go all over the place. Yeah, I, 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 that part is good. So what you just said, structurally, you know, I appreciate that. Um, I learned over time the most important thing, the, the most precious commodity in medicine these days is time. And what's happened to medicine is unfortunate, which is they've kind of turned it into a high volume, low margin kind of uh, industry. And so it's a business. And so you basically get six minutes to see your doc out the door. Well, I anger a lot of my colleagues when I say what I'm about to say, which is, you know, a well-trained chimpanzee can probably throw prescriptions at a patient, but a real healer is someone who listens and who makes someone feel um, like they've been heard, you appropriately touch, you know, you make eye contact. We live in such a disconnected world, especially, you know, you look at the online stuff and social media and everybody's faces in their phone that when we connect in my exam room, that's very healing and they've been hurt. So I may not have fixed their underlying issue when they walk out, but they always say they feel better. And that's my goal. What do you love most about what you do? Um, the relationships with my patients. So. We were, I was just seeing patients before I came here and we were laughing as uh, one of the, the gents said to me, he said, you do realize something. I said, what? And he said, you're my longest relationship. And this is a guy I've taken care of for about 27 years. 
And it's true. It's it's somebody who we just had this long history. We've been through ups, downs right. of life together. So, you know, after a while, the medicine is the medicine, and I love it, and I like the new stuff, and interested in addiction and stem cells and all kinds of interesting new stuff. But really what's interesting are the people. And the way we pick medical students is really dumb because we pick them based on test scores and MCATs and we, you know, the best docs are empaths, are people who are empathetic and can connect with people. And that's the way I run my show. And I have, I've hired staff that's exactly like me. And we work, you were talking earlier about working in a team. So I don't call them my employees. These are my colleagues. Yeah. And it's amazing how well things work when you work with people that you love and respect and trust and you feel the same about your patients. You know, it's funny. I, I had that same experience with a woman about two weeks ago. She said, Doc, how long have I been coming to you? So I, I opened up the chart. I'm like, wow, 30 years. She goes, do you know you're my longest male relationship? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we laughed about it. Um, yesterday, I finished a treatment on a woman who is a professional marketing guru. This woman has been in over 100 companies. She, I mean, she goes into companies and troubleshoots. And, and she gave me one of the greatest, because this woman's a tough nut. And, and I hope she's watching. Um, she gave me one of the greatest compliments ever. She said, I just want you to know, I, I just did her whole mouth, like whole mouth, like implants, crowns, like everything. She said, I just want you to know, from the second I walk in your office until I leave, every touch point, every person there was kind, was caring, was loving, and I felt like they had my best interests at heart, just like you do in your practice. And I said, you know what? That means the world to me, you know, that you feel that. She goes, she goes, I literally, I've never been in a practice where I felt that. And I, I felt the same way as a patient. That's why I'm bringing my whole family to you. I mean, it's really phenomenal. And I, and I love that you practice like that too. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, it's funny because as you're saying this, um, I was thinking about we, my, my staff and I, we left, we have groupies. And what I mean by that is a patient will be driving by the neighborhood. They don't have an appointment or anything like that. And they don't need anything, but they'll stop by, pick up a couple of Starbucks and just to say hi. Now, who the heck walks into their doctor's office just to say hi? No, that's But they do. And they love my staff who are really good. They're amazing. And so, so it's just, a, you know, blessed to be able to practice that way. It's just an amazing gratitude about that. And I really do what you said in the beginning is true. I really like what I do, which is different. You know, medicine's changing so fast. Um, and you've got the corporatization of medicine just making it not fun for doctors or nurses. Right. That, you know, I want, so, you know, if you're watching this and you want to become a, a physician, What's the hardest thing today? Because it has changed a lot. You know, when 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 I went to school, we're not, not that far apart in age, but pretty much if you were going to be a doctor, you'd make a great living. I mean, you might not be the richest person, but you'd make a great living and, and you, you, you wouldn't have to worry about that. But with the way medicine is today, that, that's not always the case. Right. So what happened, and I won't get into the, the weeds here, but um, in the mid-90s, after Hillary Clinton, her health care plan didn't work out, 
very quietly, all these Blue Cross, Blue Shield, all the insurance companies were not-for-profit companies. Well, then they quietly went for-profit, and that's when all this messiness started. And they had to, you know, basically make earnings for shareholders. So before they started that, about 90 cents of every premium dollar you paid in, 90 cents went to, for your medical care, 10% overhead. Well, now it's down to something like 68%. So basically 32%. Now, we didn't have computers back then, so their overhead couldn't have gone up. What they're doing is they're collecting premiums, denying claims, and making a lot of money on the backs of hardworking people. And I find that not really, you know, the way we should do this in this country. And I think um, healthcare should be a right, not a, a privilege. We're the only developed right. country. So, you know, rather than get on my soapbox about that, I just try to basically work around it for right now, and I do the best I can. And what we do is we just try to pay a lot of attention to people. But I know that in this area, Beverly Hills especially, there's this whole new like concierge kind of, you know, physician. Can you talk about that a little bit and explain what that is and yeah, what your feelings are? I, a concierge doc is sort of a new concept where the docs are getting so little money from the insurance companies that essentially they're charging some flat fee and they tell you, I'll get you in the same day, but everything else is sort of billed out, um, you know, just as usual. So I never really found that to be, in my opinion, you know, sort of ideal. So what I'm going to do for next year is I'm going to go to what they call a subscription model. Essentially, you can think of it as a gym membership. You can come as many times as you want, annual physical, labs, x-rays, EKGs, everything's included. And this way, there's no barrier to care whatsoever. And I make it, you know, affordable. But concierge, you know, again, you're paying for just the access. Right. Well, that sounds amazing. Um, as a business, where do you see your growth? Um, it's right now. I had set my practice up when I was much younger. I moved to Los Angeles from Philly at age 32, and I'm 58. Gulp. Um, and, um, Dude, I'm 60. You look great. Um, so um, what I want to do is retool my practice for people who are vaguely our age. Because what I have is I practice, it's kind of geared toward 25 to say 50 or 55 year olds. They come in for an annual physical. I put out a fire, you know, bronchitis or a sinus problem once or twice a year, and that's about it. Well, people are starting, we're at the beginning of the bell curve where people are starting to get older, they're starting to get sicker, and I need to pay a lot more attention to them. And so I'm retooling with this sort of subscription practice next year, where I'll really be able to focus and what I'm trying to do is optimize people's, what they're calling now their health span. And if I have a sec to explain that, medicine's been selling the wrong product. Agreed. For too many years. They've basically been selling longevity, how long you live. And that's not what people want. I don't want to live the last 20, 30 years of my life alive, but really sick and disabled. I would rather be super healthy, and then if I'm programmed genetically to die at 92, I drop off the cliff at age 92. Well, can you do that? And the answer is you can. And I, you can optimize people's, what they're calling now, health span, a long, healthy life, if you take care of all the details in real time. 
and we catch stuff early and we treat aggressively. We just make sure that we're keeping up with each other. So I want to see people more and I think I'm going to be able to do it. That's amazing. Gary, thank you so much My for pleasure. coming. And he's already told me he will be a mentor at Leap Week this week this year. So if you're coming to Leap as a student, you get to meet Gary live. If you need him as a doctor, you can find him how? DrCohan.com. It's C-O-H-A-N. Um, and uh, with that, Dr. Bill, over and out. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, Go to LeapFoundation.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Leap Foundation, on Instagram at Leap Foundation, and on Twitter at Leap Los Angeles. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.